0: The Monsters Among Us I am your guide Derek Hayes Greetings all and welcome to this week's installment I trust everyone is Slowly Climbing out of their Pandemic hibernation Now I have a great ride Chartered for you this evening So what do you say we hit the road Why don't you hop in Strap up and hold on This is going to be a White knuckle type of ride But you know, as things seem to slowly be opening up, Sarah and I find ourselves eager to get out and travel. We have a few conferences we hope to attend, a couple new cities to explore. But overall, we are in agreement that we want to visit more places of nature. We're even in the market for a small travel trailer to help extend our time on the road. But of all the places we could visit, the national parks are high on each of our lists. And now that the paranormal has essentially infiltrated every part of my life, we often try our best to incorporate some sort of spookiness on each of our past and hopefully future visits. And on a recent trip home, pre-pandemic from Sequoia National Park, I shared a podcast with my group, detailing the strange disappearances in and around national parks. The show, which featured an expert in this arena, and author of the Missing 411 series, David Pilates. Essentially, what Pilates is claiming is that there are big clusters of missing people throughout the U.S., these clusters found in national parks. Now, as if that wasn't odd enough, there's a long list of qualifications to meet in order for Pilates to consider the disappearance connected. Here, in his own words, the common attributes to these Missing person cases. Courtesy of Coast to Coast AM.
1: What qualifies to count as your kind of a case? First of all, rural location. No mental illness of the subject or the victim. No water-related death or suspicion of drowning. No criminal suspects in the case. One thing we found just in the last year as well is that there's people of extremely high intellect that are disappearing and then there's people with disabilities and very low intellect that are disability that are disappearing. Uh, canines are involved in two different levels. A lot of people disappear with their dog, and there's a lot of people that disappear, and they bring canines tracking dogs, bloodhounds, to the scene, and they can never pick up a scent. 99.5% of the time, they can't pick up a scent or they are unwilling to track, or they're afraid. And it's hard to say what of those three it is, but it probably is that there's no scent. And if the victim is found alive, they're either found unconscious or in a semi-conscious state, but very rarely do they have all of their wherewithal about them. This one is a big one. The people are missing shoes, predominantly. Secondarily, clothing. And a couple of last things is that most of these disappearances occur between, say, 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. That's the vast majority. Somehow or another, berries are involved in many of the cases blackberries, huckleberries. And in a large, large percentage of these cases, if the victim is found, they're found in an area that has been previously searched. And I'm not talking once, twice, sometimes 50 times. Sometimes they're found unconscious, face down on the trail. The searchers were taking every day out to search.
0: Now, I will admit that list is quite specific. So, obviously, everyone in my vehicle felt a little uneasy about the information I had just shared with them. But I think their concern pales in comparison to the time I first heard about David Pilates and his missing 411 books and documentaries. But to help put that into context, here's another clip from that same coast to coast episode.
1: So the biggest cluster in the world is Yosemite. And in the books, I I identify that boulders, granite, there's something about being in a boulder field or being around granite that can be dangerous. And a lot of people disappear in those areas. And Yosemite has so many strange disappearances in three of my books, it's just unbelievable. In one of the books, I wrote about two uh, University of California graduate students that disappeared in the late 1950s, three months apart. They didn't know each other. They were brilliant guys. One was vacationing with a family. The other was working there during the summer. They disappeared under very unusual circumstances, somehow or another, and I don't know how, the families found each other. They didn't know each other in school they didn't have the same major everything about them was different except they were grad students from cal the families found each other and they wrote letters to eisenhower asking him to send in special forces to search for these two well about two weeks ago from the eisenhower library i got 28 pages of documents about this and it's very fascinating because one thing became clear is that the army didn't want anything to do with this and in fact they lied in internal documents to the White House saying that they thought that these guys just got both got picked up on the road and taken out of the park and there was nothing to it. But they never said that to the press, and they never said that to the parents, the best I could tell.
0: No. I first learned of the missing 411 series on my way to visit Yosemite National Park to climb a 1,400-foot boulder that sits a mile above the valley below Half Dome. Now as if the near 20 mile hike and harrowing climb wasn't enough, I then had flat out disappearing on my mind. And once there, my first thought was, there's too many people here for someone to simply disappear. Then I realized if you go off trail only a little bit, the place finds a way of swallowing you up and drowning everything else out. And it's no wonder. There are legends out of the valley of ghosts of the Native Americans that once called the valley floor home to the wandering nightcrawler, or more commonly called the Fresno Nightcrawler, named for the city in which it was captured on video. A city quite close to Yosemite. In fact, there have been videos of these nightcrawlers that were supposedly filmed within the park borders. Then, of course, there are the stories of large, hairy, bipedal creatures, calling the steep and rugged forest home. And, although Pilates never gives a guess as to whom or what is responsible for these disappearances, but many followers of the subject have drawn their own hairy conclusion. And here to possibly back that claim up is our first caller of the evening. Please join me in welcoming our anonymous caller to the program.
2: Hi, Derek. In 2008, we were at Yosemite National Park. We were camped outside Yosemite uh, near the campground associated with San Francisco. Forget the name of it. It's on this road off the main road that leads to Yosemite. And uh, my wife, we'd walk our dog, he's a Border Collie, down that road. And we'd walk it every day. We were there for about a month. And every day we'd walk that road, and it's just a road. I'm not new to being outdoors. My wife lived off-grid for over six years. We traveled for full-time, sailing for a year. Uh, we lived in the mountains of Colorado off-grid for five years, not spooked by uh, creatures, and neither is my dog. It's very common for my dog to walk around Estes Park and meet all the elk roaming. So anyway, we're walking down that road. It's the last time we ever walked that road, I might when we never came back after this. There's a house on the end and it's very empty it's very quiet nobody you never see anybody out on this road but there are houses on it so i get to the last house on that road and then after that is the camp for the uh, that i was referring to so we get right past that house and my dog he looks up and he's probably looking 45 degree angle something there's a there's a river and there's a the steep hill behind there and it just goes somewhat vertical my dog sees something up there and he's Starts growling. And this is so strange for him. He doesn't do this not when he sees a buffalo, not when he sees a deer, not when he sees an elk, not when he sees a cat, not when he sees a bear. Uh, I mean, my dog's been 20 feet from like a 2,000 pound buffalo and he just sniffs at it. But my dog sees something up on that hill and it freaks him out. He steps in front of me, blocks my wife so that she's to the outside and most protected. And he looks back at me and he Points with his head towards where he wants me to look. And I look. And then he looks at my wife and he looks at her and tells her and moves his head in this way that says, run. And I knew what he meant. I, and my wife knew what he meant. My wife started to run. And you got to understand. I mean, we love this dog. He loved us. We traveled with him 10 years straight. I mean, he was our baby. You know, he was our son. And uh, he told my wife to run and she knew exactly what he said. He just. He flipped, it was how he flipped his, his his muzzle. And so I recognized what he said, and my wife starts running. I said, no. And I was worried that if it's a predator, because you can hear loud crushing up in this hill, but I can't see anything. You got to understand, my dog can see something, and I can't see it. And it's making god-awful noise, like, like, like a moose running through the forest. But I can't see what it is, and I can't understand why I can't see what it is. How can it be making this noise? I can see where the noise is coming from, but I can't see what's making the noise. And my dog's growling, and and, I mean, we're scared. So I said, okay, let's start backing down the road. So my wife and I start backing. The dog starts backing with us, and uh, we get about maybe 100 yards back and blocked from that area by the houses, and we ran like hell. And uh, we never went back. We packed everything. I think uh, our stay was up in like two days or something like that. We never went back. I just share this because I don't know what it was. But what's really scary is I knew where the noise was coming from. My dog could see where the noise was coming from and was growling and barking at it. And I can't see what my dog is seeing. And I don't have any explanation for it. I, I, I believe it to be probably a Bigfoot, but this is all speculation. I have no reason to believe that. It could be anything,
0: you know. Thank you, caller. Now, I'm not certain which campground our caller is referring to, but I can tell you that he, his wife, and his dog are not alone. There have been a decent number of Bigfoot sightings to come out of that park. In fact, according to the BFRO website, Bigfoot Field Research Organization, that is, there are 38 official reports claiming to see the big guy in and around the park the second highest number of all the counties in the state of California. And I'd say our caller did the right thing. Not Ronnie was pretty smart. And at least he didn't do what this guy did.
3: So this just came in. Check it out. From Mammoth Cave, Kentucky, federal officials are investigating an incident involving at least one gunshot fired over the weekend at Mammoth Cave National Park that was prompted by an alleged sighting of Bigfoot. A spokesperson for the National Park said law enforcement rangers responded about 2 a.m. Sunday to an incident involving a person with a firearm at one of the park's backcountry campsites. While the park did not release any additional information, a camper named Brad Ginn told News 5 that he and his girlfriend were there at the time. Ginn said the two went to sleep around 11 o'clock and woke up about 1 a.m. to people shining flashlights on their tent. The couple exited their tent to find a man and his young son approaching. According to Ginn, the man explained that something had destroyed his campsite and that he kept hearing strange sounds, so he was going to investigate because this was this is Bigfoot country. Ginn's girlfriend claimed she heard the same shots. Uh, the man reportedly showed the couple his gun and told them they heard gunshots. They should run. Again, and his girlfriend returned to their tent, said about five to ten minutes later, they heard at least one gunshot. The man and his son returned to the couple's tent and stated that Bigfoot had emerged from the woods and approached him, so he fired his weapon. And due to the bizarre circumstances, again said he and his girlfriend immediately packed up and left their campsite. That incident he is still under investigation by park law enforcement officials.
0: That clip comes courtesy of WKRG, CBS 5, out of Mobile, Alabama. And thanks again, caller. It's certainly beautiful and spooky country. I didn't even mention the serial killer. Now our next entry takes us back to my home state, and a town I used to work in. Glass City, Toledo, Ohio.
4: Hey, everyone. This is Patty from Toledo. I am calling this time with what I remember to be my first paranormal experience. I was six years old, about five or six, well over 30 years ago. And I was at home. And at the time, uh, we had a pretty big tree in the front yard. And my dad made a swing for me, you know, just two pieces of rope and a piece of wood and I ran outside to go to that tree and at the time the door that we went out of was a side door so I came out the side door and I turned to my right and I am now directly in front of the tree and running towards the tree as I'm running towards this tree to go play on my swing I see a dark figure pop out Playing peekaboo, and I stopped dead in my tracks, and I scream for my dad. I'm like, "Bah!" We call him "Bah," and he comes running from I don't even know where. My dad was always good for that. He, no matter where he was, if I screamed, there he was. And he comes running over to me and asks me what's wrong. And by this time, the thing had been playing peekaboo with me a couple times and I was terrified and I told my dad that there was something behind the tree and it kept looking at me and I must have been not not even that far from the tree maybe like 10 feet from the tree and it was still doing it I I, like I feel like the nerve of it to play peekaboo with me with with my dad standing right next to me And I I told him, like, it just did it again. And my dad couldn't see anything. And he takes me by the hand very sweetly. And he starts explaining to me that sometimes there are things that we can't understand, or we see things that we shouldn't be seeing, and that they scare us, and that we just need to tell them to go away, to leave you alone. They're not welcome here. And he said, but you have to go see. You have to go look. So he takes me by the hand and we're walking near to this tree, to my death as I think. And there's nothing there, there's nothing there. This is broad daylight, broad daylight. It was probably early in the morning. I was a little kid, I'm first thing, it was probably a Saturday morning or something, you know, first thing you do is you get up and go play. And there was nothing there. And I think this was my first encounter with a shadow person I didn't learn that term until I was much older, like maybe 18 or 19 when I was introduced to Coast to Coast AM. And that was the first time that I had heard that term. I have seen shadow people, things, pretty much all of my life. In broad daylight, very rarely is it at night. Actually, at the moment, I can't think of any instance that it was at night that I've seen a shadow person. It's always been during the day. When I'm driving, I've seen a shadow, dark across the street, I had to slam on my brakes because I, I saw something crossing the street and my friends are like, well, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, you didn't see that? I've seen shadow dogs. I, I've seen lots of shadow things over the years, but that one that one sticks out to me the most, <laughs> probably because it was so traumatizing to me. That was the first thing that I've ever seen that was strange to me. Um, I did have some other paranormal experiences uh, when I was younger. I don't remember those, but my mom tells me that I used to play in a closet a lot, and I would sit there and just have a conversation. What my mom said was a conversation with someone or something. So yeah, that's that story. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Patty. Now, when I was about 12, I used to walk to the bus stop alone at 6-ish in the morning. Pitch black outside. And on that 150-yard track, There was one particular tree that scared the hell out of me. It wasn't the tree, but it was the shape of this one particular branch. That was something straight out of a Burton film. It was gnarled and haggard and had this one branch that looked like the perfect perch for some sort of creature. And when you're 12 and it's pitch black out and you're walking through the woods alone, your imagination gets the better of you. No, I know now that there was nothing there, but each time I walked by that tree then, I swear I could see some mound of flesh perched on that branch. Now I'm not suggesting that Patty also imagined her encounter, although that's entirely possible. No, her experience seems more tangible than did mine. And if I didn't know better, I'd think her father also knew something. Something odd enough to warrant the conversation that Patty detailed. Whatever it was, it made for a great story. So thanks again, Patty, for sharing the tale. Listen up, folks. If you have a true paranormal story you would like to share on the show, call the hotline at one 888 608 night That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com for more submission options. Now our next entry takes us further east, to the Commonwealth of Virginia. Kenny, welcome to the program.
5: Hi Derek, my name is Kenny from Midlothian, Virginia. My story includes possible ghosts, footsteps, and a tragic coal mine explosion. Back in December 1999, we moved into a new construction house and a new subdivision in Midlothian, Virginia. Midlothian is about 15 miles southwest of Richmond. There was a lot of coal mining happening in this area back in the late 1800s to about 1930. And now I knew this subdivision, which is named the Grove, S-G-R-O-V-E, Grove, was built very close to where coal mining was happening back then. Okay, so it was my daughter, wife, and me living in the house. Uh, We all started to notice as we walked about the house from time to time that we would suddenly feel like we would walk through a spot where we felt like a cold chill. All three of us experienced this. It was not frequent, but it happened enough to where we would start joking that maybe it was a ghost giving off this chill we felt. We'd been there maybe three years. Uh, I'd come home from work one day and parked at the rear of the driveway, as, as I usually do, and went into the back door. The back door enters at the kitchen and above the kitchen is the master bathroom which has hard surface floor. I'm standing there in the kitchen maybe looking at the mail on the counter or something I don't exactly remember but then I hear very distinct footsteps walking back and forth above me in the master bathroom. These footsteps sounds like hard sole shoes and I've heard them many times, many many times when the wife is upstairs in the bathroom walking around getting ready and things like that so I thought oh she must have come home early from work so the garage is right there next to the kitchen and I peek out into the garage and her car is not there she's not home my daughter's car was not in the driveway so I know she's not home either so then I think oh maybe it's the cat but i look around I see the cat laying in the family room asleep just a few feet away at that point I go upstairs look all around nobody's up there I walk the entire house but I'm the only one there nobody's home when my wife gets home, I mentioned this uh, experience to her, and she kind of shrugs it off. Uh, my daughter gets home a little later that evening, and I mentioned it to her, and her eyes get big as sauces. And she said, Dad, I've heard that a couple of times. I've heard those footsteps a couple of times as well. Never really told anyone else's story and never heard those footsteps again, but we did continue to feel the chill spots from time to time when walking about the house. Fast forward a couple of years, and the county opens a park adjacent to our subdivision, There's a lot of news stories coming out about this new park, and something I never knew until this point came to my attention. There was a coal mine named Grove Shaft Mine where an explosion occurred and killed 32 men inside on February 3rd, 1882. The mine was about 600 feet deep, and those who were not killed by the explosion were likely suffocated by black damp smoke and, and lack of oxygen. It also turned out that the mine entrance is literally just a few feet from the subdivision we live in. And there's a few houses where you can walk out the back of the house and just be within feet of this mine entrance, mine shaft entrance, of which I thought, wow, maybe we're seeing some activity from those 32 miners that were trapped. I don't know. We moved into another house in 2009, not not because of these experiences, but just other other life events. And I would love to hear if anyone listening out there ever lived or lives in this subdivision, which is named the Grove. I'd love to hear any stories you may have. Thanks, Derek. Love your podcast. I just started listening a couple months ago, and that gives us a platform to talk about things we would otherwise not have anyone to talk to about. Thanks. Thank you, sir.
0: It's always reassuring when you can find possible explanations for supposed strange activity. And in my research, I actually stumbled upon a New York Times article from February 4th, 1882, discussing the tragedy that Kenny unearthed. A mine disaster in Virginia. Coalfield, Virginia, February 3rd. An explosion occurred at the grove shaft of the Midliath coal mines about a mile and a half from here. At about one o'clock this afternoon, Thirty-two men were caught in the shaft, and there is little or no hope that any of them will be got out alive. The gas testers went down nearly to the bottom of the pit three times, but were forced to return on account of the smoke and gas, which were suffocating. They report the pit on fire, but they will make another effort in the morning to search for the unfortunate man. The news of the disaster spread very rapidly, and in a short time a crowd had gathered at the shaft. the scene was most distressing as nearly everyone had some relative or friend among the entombed miners the cause of the disaster is not positively known by some it is attributed to gas while others say the boiler in the pit exploded mr george m dodds the superintendent states that the gas testers made an examination this morning and reported that there was no gas to burn there is no doubt however that those who were not killed by the explosion will be suffocated by black damp and smoke with which the pit is choked and through which no fresh air can penetrate. The shaft in which the explosion occurred is nearly 600 feet deep, running about three quarters of a mile in a lateral direction. The Midlothian coal mines belong to the estate of the late H. H. Burroughs of New York and cost about 12 years ago Between $400,000 and $500,000. Now they go on to list the victims' names. And the link is in tonight's show notes if you'd like to honor the men in your own way. And thanks again, Kenny, for taking the time to share that story. Flowers are blooming. Grass is growing. Creatures are emerging from their winter hibernation. And it's time to... Trim the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can mow your lawn safely and efficiently. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below the waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for Monsters Among Us listeners. Use code MONSTERS to get 20% off plus free shipping at Manscaped.com. Join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make sure you're trimmed and smelling nice. After all, isn't it time for some spring cleaning now as i've mentioned before i'm a big fan of manscaped even before they reached out to sponsor the show i've been using their lawnmower trimmer for years they have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products and they are here to help you with the above the waist fur as well there's certainly no need to look or feel like a smelly skunk ape this season their weed whacker is a nose and ears hair trimmer that provides Proprietary skin-safe technology to prevent nicks and tugs. So say goodbye to those nose hairs flying in the wind. Now, Manscaped also has formulas to keep you fresh and ready to emerge from your hiding space. Like the Crop Preserver, Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, and Moisturizer, this product is essential for hot summer days. The Crop Reviver Spray Toner for your nether regions Is also a favorite of mine and will keep you feeling and smelling fresh down there, just like spring flowers. So, smell good and feel good this spring. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code monsters at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the coupon code monsters at manscaped.com. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So, thank you. And back to the spooky stuff. Nope. Now real quick before we move on. Pandemic and safe travel permitting. I'm excited to announce that we will be attending this year's Crypticon in Lexington, Kentucky. November 20th and 21st. Now there's more details to come, but hit up the website at crypticon.com to get tickets and further info. We're super excited to see you guys this year. Our next entry takes us slightly north, over the border to Pennsylvania, where Noah has an entry he'd like to share.
6: Hey Derek, my name is Noah. I uh, just recently actually found your podcast and I love it to death. I used to always listen to talk radio with my dad. So yeah, I've always been really into the paranormal and I've even felt like I had a couple experiences I actually tried to call you about a separate experience that I had involving, I don't know, some kind of uh, paranormal entity, but I couldn't even uh, get up the courage to talk about it when I called. But here I am, I have another story. I uh, live in the Pittsburgh area. I guess it would be, it's considered Oakmont or so. There's a place called 13 Bend, And my girlfriend and I, this time last year, it's around Halloween time now, We decided to go. We took our little sister with us. We thought it would be a cool experience. Apparently, there was like an orphanage back there. You can like put baby powder on your car. And supposedly, if you drive through at a certain point of the night, you're going to get handprints on your car and uh, a couple different experiences, stuff like that. And you used to be able to drive through, and they call it 13 men because there's 13 bends to the road. And last year, though, unbeknownst that, we went up there to 13 Bents And the road is actually closed off now. It was like a really nice fall night. Gives you a lot of nostalgia when you get out of the car. smell the air, you know, and just a lot of good feelings, at least for me, from being like a kid and stuff. Running around and it's getting to be sweater weather time. And we got there, and I got out of the car if I could pull the latch to get into the bend area so we could start driving and it's locked up and you can't get in anymore like you used to be able to. Maybe this year I don't know. We're going to actually go back and try out. But there was like a creek that runs alongside the trail. I was feeling very good. Just a lot of positive, positivity a lot of positive vibes from the area and I was telling my girlfriend like get out of the car like come check this out, listen to this creek run. It sounds so cool out here. And she ended up getting out of the car. Her little sister stayed in the car. She was terrified just from, because it was a dark road. It's uh, very scary back there at night, especially if you don't know what's going to be going on, obviously, with all the tales that we were reading on the way there. So she gets out of the car. I feel so good. I feel, I don't want to say connected to the area, but I feel very good about situation that we're in i'm like we should start walking back there it feels so good and we get back in the car we decide not to go in because it's obviously locked off there's like a little community back there a couple houses and stuff i don't want to get in trouble with the law or anything i've been in trouble for trespassing before and it's not fun it's not a fun sign so yeah we ended up leaving 13 bends. i kind of wanted to stay i kind of wanted to explore a little bit Granted, it was dark, and uh, I didn't want it to be weird for anybody, and I didn't want to make my girlfriend or little sister uncomfortable with anything just because I wanted to go in and be weird about stuff. So we get into the car, we go home, everything's fine, but that night I started feeling like maybe I was being watched, like there was something with me at all times. I lived with a buddy of mine at the time. I left my girlfriend's house. I went home. I was feeling real paranoid the whole time. I was laying down for bed, like, kept picturing all this crazy imagery in my head, uh, things I'm not proud to admit. And I actually ended up falling asleep. Fine. Well, I started having this nightmare, and I was being chased in this dream by this entity. And uh, the dream was so long ago now, I don't really recall anything about the, the creature in my dream. I just remember the point that I woke up. And at one point in the dream, I remember getting cornered and couldn't find where the creature was. But something tapped me on my shoulder, and it was, like, saying my name. It was like, Noah. And I woke up out of my sleep, and I felt something that was it, was, it tapping me on my shoulder and, like, shook me awake. And I said my name, and I was, like, looking back. My friend was asleep at the time. And just some real weird, just real weird vibe from it all. I woke up the next day, and my friend was like, I told my friend the story, like I had the dream last night, all this stuff was happening to me in it. We went to 13 Bends. I started having all these weird thoughts, and he was like, oh man, like that's so weird because I woke up just randomly in the middle of the night and I called your name because, uh, I don't know, I felt like something was wrong or something like that, like you were, I don't know, I, thought, I might have been lost turning or something like that. Yeah, and then um, I told my girlfriend about it. She actually pra- practices Wiccanry, she uh, did a sort of cleanse for me, and after that, I never had any other issues, but I just thought it was a cool story. thought I could should reach out to you. I really enjoy the content that you've been creating, and I'm so excited that I just found you because I have so much to listen to now. Thanks for all that you do. hope you enjoy the story. I look forward to hearing a little bit about it from you and seeing what you have to think about it.
0: Have a great day. Thanks, Noah. Both Kenny and Noah's entries have reminded me, it's time to start thinking about the next round of Hometown Legend entries. So if you have one, give us a call or send us a recording, but be sure to say the words Hometown Legends early in the call so I can pluck it from the bank of entries. Now up next we hear from Stoney, in a creepy little story about, well I'll let him tell it. Stony. The mic is yours. Good evening, Derek
7: and everyone else associated in listening to Monsters Among Us. My name is Stony Sills. I am a now-retired paranormal investigator. I'm 28, and this story takes place about 11 years ago in a town I was from called Oak City, North Carolina. Very small place, probably less than 400 people in the census. I don't really know. Anyway, we had an elderly neighbor, and she had a granddaughter that was coming from a hard situation, and, uh, during this particular summer, my brother and I would go hang out with her, and vice versa. Mind you, this is, uh, kind of when YouTube was still in its infancy, and the whole thing to do after school was you listen to what your classmates suggested, and you watch it with your other friends, and so on, so that's kind of what we did this day, but, um, for this instance, like, she had a friend of hers over from where she was from. And, uh, being the young guy I was, I didn't want to make a fool of myself in front of some cute girl, you know. And, yeah, that's kind of exactly what happened, <laughs> inevitably. So, we're in, like, the back side of her house, where it's like a kitchen-living room arrangement. And, uh, the computer's in the corner, she had two chairs, one for herself and her friend, and I'm, like, kind of over their shoulders looking at the monitor, and my brother's behind me somewhere. I don't really paying too much attention to him at the moment, uh, obviously. But um, as I'm like watching something, like a flash of red comes out of the corner of my eye, and I'm like, okay. And I turn my head and look, and it's my brother. And I'll get to why this is weird in a minute. But like, I didn't think it was weird that he was wearing a uh, red shirt, but it was like a the Misfits band shirt, where it's like the Crimson Ghost uh, skull with like a cape on. You know, it's like a front and back print that wraps all around, or whatever but a very unmistakable shirt, and he had some jeans on and, you know, brown shoes. And uh, he was doing this really strange hop with his arms to his side and his, like, fingers flushed outward, like, down the hallway, like, <laughs> trying to be sneaky but, like, funny about it at the same time, so I'm like, well, that's weird. So, uh, had this strange hallway also where it was, like, kind of, like, half-parallel and, like, you'd round a corner and go straight down the other side of the hall whatever. So I follow him down, he... he curves the other way goes down the front side I follow him right behind him and then he's gone like to the front master bedroom, which was Madison's room and uh so I'm thinking okay he's you know probably in there like messing around with like some of her stuff like teens would so I go look for him and he's not there not under the bed behind the door didn't bolt out a window you know even though that would be unlikely so I'm baffled and kind of scared at this point like what the hell's happening so i you know didn't really know what to say and i walked back in there because i know they'll be like where'd Stony go you know anyway i come back with my table to my legs and she's looking at me i'm like i just tried to follow you know dylan down the hallway and she has a strange look and like what are you talking about like you know dylan's right there and points to the back door where he was looking at the whole time and this is where it's, it's so weird to me he was actually wearing a white shirt that day so for some reason in the heathen moment where he was wearing an entirely different shirt I thought nothing of it but I just knew I instinctively had to like follow him and I was like holy sh** this is beyond me right now I didn't know what to say and like her friend was like kind of like confused <laughs> I'm like oh this is not good at all and then her grandmother on the couch watching TV across the way, you know, turns to us and says, oh, you just saw my husband. He died of lung cancer complications or whatever, like, in that front room many years ago. And I kind of just froze. I didn't know what to do or say. And we all kind of had that same look on our face. But she was like, kind oh, that's just, you know, I guess his way of fooling around or making his presence known. But, um, yeah, to say the least, like... Her friend was weirded out and left soon after that, and we did too, and my friend Madison like, probably chained smoke out of nervousness, but yeah, that was uh, the first encounter that really cemented me at an early age <laughs> to go after this stuff. Doppelgangers are strange, and I don't know if it was a bad omen or not, but I figured I'd let y'all know about this story. Anyway, love the show, y'all have a really amazing thing going,
0: and I'll call back with another one. Thanks. Thank you, Stony. You know, it's been a spell since we shared a doppelganger story. If that is, in fact, what this was. And what's with the sneaky movements? No matter what it is, where was it sneaking to or from? Now, if you're mimicking somebody, well, I feel the need to be sneaky. I guess you could say the detail about it sneaking it makes me nervous. But this isn't a subject i know a ton about but i will say this if you can stoney find out what the deceased grandfather looked like as a younger man then compare to your brother at the same age who's taking bets on how closely they resemble one another thank you again sir for sharing your entry now before we load the next call into the hopper Don't forget to pick up your Monsters Among Us merchandise. At long last, the patches are finally here. There's two separate designs, so pick and choose, or grab one of each. But they're in the shop and ready to go. Go to MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com forward slash shop, or click on the shop tab. We have shirts, hats, bags, and all sorts of goodies. And if you act now, we still have some of the $10 autographed posters available. And due to popular response regarding our donation to the Navajo Water Project, a nonprofit bringing water to Americans in need, beginning with the Navajo Nation, well, the response was so good that we've decided proceeds from both posters will be donated. So pick one up, display your loyalty, and support the show today. So, for this next one, we venture all the way down to Australia where Travis has a story and some evidence to share with us.
8: Hi Derek, my name's Travis. I'm calling from Adelaide in South Australia and just wanna share a story with you regarding a ghostly experience I had about 10 years ago. At the time, I was living with my family in a country town called Gawler, which is about 40 kilometers north of Adelaide. But it does have its own rich history regarding pioneering settlers farming agriculture and quite a number of heritage listed properties around around the town now if you're not too familiar with heritage listed properties they're basically properties that are on a heritage list so they're effectively protected by local council and government, and they have some sort of historical significance for the town or the area. With anything historical or heritage listed, it can't be realistically modified from its original appearance or knocked down. So there's quite a few around um, Gawler and around the town of Adelaide as well. Back then, I was in a relationship with a girl. We had been dating for about a year at that point. We had decided to get our own place and move in together. at the time she was living in a house with her auntie the house itself was actually heritage listed it was probably built in or around the 1920s 1930s the property itself had very high ceilings wooden floors old-style locks on the doors and the auntie was currently in the process of renovating the property during the period we were dating my then girlfriend had told me about things that had happened in the house. Things like lights would switch on and off by themselves and things would go missing and taps would turn on by themselves and doors would close on their own. And apparently she had also witnessed several shadow figures in in the house and walking down the hallway and sticking their head around corners. So she had disclosed that to me. I'm a bit of a believer in regards to the paranormal. I have had some experience with UFOs and stuff like that. And the ex- experience kind of got me a little bit interested. I actually was there at one stage when the door in the lounge room closed on its own. I, I did find that a little unusual, but could have easily put that down to a change of pressure in the room or wind closing the door. So at the time, wasn't really, really too phased by it. But one night, I was at home um, at my parents' place watching a movie and it was about one o'clock in the morning. At the time, my girlfriend had had called me. She was telling me how she was asleep and suddenly woke up um, with the sound of footsteps walking down down the hallway. And like I said, the, the floors were wooden so they were making very distinct noises down the hallway which had woken her up. She was quite frantic when she rang So she wanted me to come down and uh, and pick her up so she could stay at my parents' place for the night. So got there pretty quickly, did a bit of a check around around the house to make sure no one was on the property and to make sure no one had tried to break in. And from what I could tell, everything was okay. But but it did spook her enough that she didn't want to stay there anymore for the rest of the night. So she came back to my place. We went to sleep. And the next morning jumped online, did a bit of research in regards to paranormal investigators around Adelaide and came across the contact details of a woman named Alison, who's actually quite well-renowned in Adelaide um, as a paranormal investigator. She's done a lot of, she's written quite a few books, she's been on the radio and actually frequently conducts ghost tours around Adelaide as well. So basically this woman knows her stuff she had agreed to come down to run some tests on the property and actually conduct an EVP session. As I said my girlfriend was living with her auntie and we had arranged for Allison to come down at a point when the auntie wasn't going to be there because we didn't really want the auntie to know about what was actually currently happening. So we arranged for her to come down uh, the following week uh, my girlfriend met, and myself met up with her and Allison had brought along her assistant to help her with the session as well. So there was four of us. So we had gone back to the property at about nine o'clock. So it was obviously dark and this was, had occurred during the sort of spring period. So it was quite a quite a warm night. We brought all the equipment in that we we're going to use for uh, the testing. Allison had said to us before we started setting up that she was going to start the EVP session straight away. What she meant by that was she was actually going to start the recording for the electronic voice phenomena as soon as she walked through the door. From her experience, a lot of EVP recordings um, are actually captured not so much during the session, but during regular conversations with people, as she had mentioned that ghosts tend to... Uh, respond more effectively to um, standard conversations and normal talking. So, she had started the recording before we went into the property, and before we did the actual session, they ran through a series of tests on the property. So, um, basically, checking temperatures of the room, they were going through, uh, checking to see if there was any electrical interference, and pretty much everything came up normal. There's no interference. The temperature reading was interesting, though. Like I said before, it was during the spring period. So the temperature in most of the rooms around the house was about 21, 22 sort of degrees Celsius. And the room that my then-girlfriend was occupying was significantly colder. Uh, the temperature reading from memory was about 14 or 15 degrees. So it's was, it was quite chilly in the room. You could, you could definitely feel it when you were in there. After we'd done through the initial testing, got everything all set up, we proceeded to do the EVP recording. To do the recording, it was apparently best that we had all the lights off and we proceeded to turn off all the lights in the house, made sure all the doors were um, effectively open and we had went down to the hallway by the front door and began the session. It was basically a standard EVP session. There was questions about, can you tell us who you are? Is someone willing to communicate? Those standard questions. Pretty much as soon as the session started off, there were three separate knocks that had emitted from the kitchen area. It was like someone was, someone was knocking on, the, on the, the wooden cupboard or knocking on the table, but very, three very distinct knocks emanating from the kitchen. Now, like I said, there was only four of us in the house. No one else was in there and that kind of spooked me. I'm not really one to spook very easily, but it got me a little bit on edge, I have to admit. So as we were going through the, through the session, the standard questions were still being asked and i was standing next to the main bedroom door and about halfway during the session the bedroom door slammed shut that made me jump (laughs) it really did i I did swear at that time it it really sent chills down your spine allison said to me did you you just close that door and i was like no just just closed on its own and to sort of eliminate any change in pressure she told me to open up the door and see if that would happen again and like i said with the house it was an old old style house now the doors had external latches. Now with a standard door you turn the handle the latch moves in and the door opens up but with this particular one when you turn the handle the latch because it's external lifts up to open the door. Now I turn the handle distinctly remember turning the handle trying to lift the latch up and the latch had lifted I could feel it, the resistance um, come off it and I try to push the door open but the door wouldn't actually move it was actually as if someone was on the opposite side holding the door closed. And I pushed against the door a few times and the door still wouldn't move and proceeded to actually use my shoulder almost as if to try to breach the door open I gave it a, a few good hefty hits and the door just wouldn't budge. And I just said, that's weird, the, the door won't open. So I let go of the door handle and about five seconds later, the door opened on its own. Needless to say we um, wrapped up the pee session quite quite quickly after that collected up all the gear and um, effectively effectively called it a night. We parted ways and my girlfriend then girlfriend came back to stay with me for the remaining few weeks. Now needless to say neither of us really slept too well that night. The following morning Allison the paranormal investigator had rang back to tell us that she'd actually uh, discovered some actual recordings from the evp session needless to say it was quite a unusual experience so yeah look i'd love to hear your opinion on the situation the subject apart from that thank you very much for your time really love the podcast keep up the great work bye
0: thank you travis before i share the evps travis sent in I wanted to quickly update everyone regarding last week's story about the Mantis Man figure in a photograph. Well, luckily for us, Rick was listening. He sent the photo in, and it's now posted on our social media accounts and in last week's show notes. So go find it, take a look, and tell us what you see. Now back to Travis. No, I won't waste any more time. Here is the first EVP Travis sent over. As usual, played in full, then... Three times in original form.
6: Is that Bill Express yours or is that how there's something there for me?
0: Then three times after my attempt at cleaning it up.
6: Is that Bill Express yours or is that how
0: there's something there for me? Now Travis claims it says, it's not mine. Here it is, one more time. See if you can pull it out.
6: Is
8: that feeling your express
0: yours, or is that oh, there's something for me? No, I don't want to influence any decisions, but it does sound like the investigator asks if that something—I can't make out the word—express is yours, and the voice does seem to reply, "It's not mine." Now here is the second clip. And cleaned up. Now although he didn't mention it, I can hear the voice a second time in that clip. I believe it's saying, tell me. So I included it in both the original and the enhanced versions. Now he claims this one says, what are you doing? And here it is one more time. see if you can hear it now i don't know about you but the tell me certainly goes in line with what are you doing i cut the middle part out in the replay so you can hear the full sentence together. But this is the trouble with EVPs. Do we only hear what we want, or what has been suggested to us? Or are these voices of the long dead, preserved in digital form? Either way, it's fun to speculate, so thank you, Travis, for the fun entry. And before we play this final call, don't forget to check out our Patreon page, for extended content visit patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast and pick your level today now we seem to be world travelers today because our next entry takes place in the ukraine please welcome masha to the program
9: hello my name is masha and i am from ukraine Currently, I live in the United States, and I have been listening to the podcast and hearing so many similar stories to mine, I just needed to share to let people know that, you know, we're not crazy. Things are out there. So the first story I am going to share, I was not an eyewitness to it, it was uh, before I was born, but my mother, my father, my sister and brother witnessed it at the same time. It was the year 1986, after Chernobyl in Ukraine exploded, and from my mother's words, um, it was a dark summer evening when suddenly they lived on a, on a fifth floor of a five-story building. Suddenly, they noticed there are these strange lights outside the balcony, which is pretty high up in the sky, you know. So all of them walked out on the balcony, and these lights, they are humongous. They are just sitting there, all three in a line. And according to my mom... You know, she she yelled at my sister and brother, she said, describe what you're seeing right now. And my sister and brother did, uh, and they were watching these lights for I think at least half an hour until they got eventually, you know, a little bored because nothing was happening. And within about an hour, hour and a half, these lights started just slowly shrinking and shrinking until they became little dots and disappeared So my mom thinks that after the Chernobyl exploded, UFO came to help clean it up or maybe gauge how big the pollution was. It happened in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. And there were other sightings of it from other people. They, my mom took pictures and she sent them to the newspaper and they were the originals and they were never returned. So I do not have a physical proof, but the story of four eyewitnesses. The second story I have was, mine, or is mine, and I witnessed it myself. Um, it was a time when I was uh, 18. I was living with my mom and dad, and it was the middle of the night, and suddenly, you know, they barge into my room, very odd, and they say, come to the window, just watch. I'm like, okay, okay, whatever, guys, don't overreact. Then again, we live in a different building, but again, on the fifth floor, the top floor, and as soon as I walk up to the window, I just know where to look. I don't know how to explain it. I just know. My eyesight is going there, and... Every time I'm trying to explain what it was, it's, it was not like a star. It didn't sit in the sky, you know? It was just sitting there like it was pinned, like a black hole, you know? But it was shimmering, and it was tiny. It was the size of a star, but it was shimmering. It didn't release a glow like stars have. They didn't have this fuzzy, soft glow, but it was shimmering, all all of the colors. And we looked at it for just a couple of seconds until all of a sudden, this thing goes in a zigzag, zoom, 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 zoom across the sky and disappears. And I know it was not a plane. (laughs) Nothing flies like this. And when uh, I heard someone's story in season one, I think it was a, a girl calling, describing something similar. It went up, down, up, down. That was what I saw. And it was in 2014, again in Kiev, in Ukraine, when I lived there. And it was amazing. It was just amazing. As soon as this thing knew that we looked at it, it moved. So I would be happy to hear more stories like this on your show, just to know who else saw something similar. Big fan of the show, just like everyone else says. And thank you if you're going to play my story in advance. Good luck.
0: Thank you, Masha. This one is a bit out of my jurisdiction, but let me see what I can put together here. To begin with, for those that might not know, Chernobyl is, or was, rather, a nuclear power plant that experienced a meltdown in April of 1986. A plant located in Ukrainian USSR. Entire towns were picked up and moved overnight. It's now clear that the Soviet Union has suffered one of the worst disasters in the history of nuclear power. Massive quantities of radiation have apparently been released in an accident at the Chernobyl power station in the Ukraine. Many thousands of people live in the vicinity. Moscow admits there have been casualties and signs are that a big relief operation is underway. That clip is courtesy of ABC News Australia. Now it's estimated anywhere from 25,000 to 200,000 people died as a result from the fallout of this disaster. And today, the Exclusion Zone, the area still deemed too radioactive for human activity, is over 1,000 square miles. Now, needless to say, all sorts of stories have come out of that Exclusion Zone. Everything from ghosts, mutated animals, humans living off-grid, to, of course, UFOs. Now I've heard rumors of strange sightings in the skies above that nuclear plant just days before the tragedy struck. Everything from the classic UFO to something similar in description to our Mothman. But if we back up a bit and think about this, another wrinkle suddenly comes to light. Now we've discussed previously on the show different occasions when different nuclear installments were not only visited by but possibly taken offline. By UFOs. Here is an expert on the subject, author and researcher Robert Hastings, with a very matter of fact refresher.
10: Declassified U.S. government documents and witness testimony from former or retired U.S. military personnel confirm beyond any doubt the reality of ongoing UFO incursions at nuclear weapons sites. The witnesses have described these craft as disc-shaped, or cylindrical shaped or spherical. These objects are capable of both hovering and high-velocity flight, usually completely silently. Over the past 37 years, I have personally located and interviewed more than 120 of these former or retired military personnel, all of whom report UFO incidents at one or more of the following locations nuclear missile sites, nuclear weapons storage areas, and nuclear weapons test sites in Nevada and the Pacific during the era of atomic atmospheric testing.
0: Now that bite was taken from CNN from back in 2010. So of course, if these things are visiting our nuclear installations, surely they're doing the same elsewhere in the world. And naturally, a place like Chernobyl especially post-1986, would be rather attractive to whatever these things are. But if that were the case, we'd probably hear about it, right? Well, there is this. Space
10: aliens are said to have landed in a UFO. The nightly news program, Premier broadcast a report from Central Russia and an interview with a boy who spoke of being scared when he saw the UFO and the creature who stepped from it, describing it as being 10 feet tall, with no head or shoulders, no nose, three eyes. Grimio also reported, by the way, that so far the account by the boy and several other children has not been confirmed by any adult, but it is getting a lot of attention.
0: Now, the clip is courtesy of NBC News and originally aired back in September of 1989. And sure, the town of Voronezh, where this encounter took place, is some 300 miles from Chernobyl. So the connection appears loose at best. But what if I told you that Voronish is home to the Novo Voronish nuclear power plant? A power plant very similar to Chernobyl. So is it possible that extraterrestrials or interdimensional beings or perhaps us from the future? Or they're checking up on operations? I can tell you for our sake. I certainly hope someone is. Thank you again, Masha, for sharing that amazing story. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And keep the party going by joining us on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit. The terrifying score that you hear. That's Music. And Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. Oh, good. You're still here. Now, a huge thanks to all those that shared the show last week. And here's your second chance to those that haven't yet. And also, here's tonight's bonus entry. All the way from Catherine in Washington State.
11: Hi, this is Catherine from Tacoma, Washington. First, I just want to say thank you for everything you do on this podcast. This is a story from three or four years ago. I was coming out of a CPR class in the morning with my friend and we were in his car and we decided to drive down to Titlow, which is this little place on the water, um, on the Puget Sound in Tacoma. And we're sitting in his car and it was really stormy, kind of windy out. There was a wedding going on in this building next to us. So there were people around, but everyone was kind of inside or wearing heavy coats and walking. And we're sitting there for a while because we didn't want to take a walk while still storming out. And mid-conversation, I don't even remember what we were talking about, my friend goes, Oh my gosh, that dog is huge. Look at that dog across the way. And we look across this field and probably, I would say, maybe 100 you know, yards in front of us, there's this huge black dog and it looks almost like a bear and a wolf combined into one. And the black dog is following a woman wearing like a basic black jacket, walking a little kind of white and brown dog on a leash. And so my friend and I are staring at this dog because it's the biggest dog we've ever seen. It's really shaggy, its head kind of hanging low as it walks, and it's not on a leash or anything. And these three come walking down kind of towards us along the building where there's a wedding going on. Again, everyone's inside because it's not very good weather out. Occasionally, someone will come out for like a smoke or something. And they're walking by, and all of a sudden they go behind this little shed out in front of the building where the wedding's going on, and they walk between the shed and the building. And there's nowhere to go that we couldn't see from our car on either side of the shed, and the, again, the building is right behind it, so there's no way that they could have gone anywhere. And we, we're, we go, well, where'd they go? And I make a joke, and I said, well, that dog, you know, it's probably... Had to use the bathroom and she's picking it up right now but let's let's quickly drive around and see so in about 40 seconds we drive around this small shed building and the three are gone completely gone there's a lock on the shed padlocks on the outside so we know they didn't go in the shed and that's the only place they could have gone that we wouldn't have seen them um, because of the nature of where our perspective was from the car and then driving around again it only took 40 seconds we had clear vision of where they went the whole time They were just gone. So we're still baffled by this. I've heard other stories now because I looked it up about black dogs. This dog didn't seem menacing. It didn't seem evil. It was just this huge dog that kind of like passed the woman's waist. It's back, you know, walking behind this woman and this other little dog that looked very casual. They looked modern. I mean, again, her clothes didn't tell a lot about her. But again, the little dog's on a leash, so they have to be pretty modern. I don't know. And they just are gone. They disappeared. And, you know, we both saw this. We both had the same experience. And we have no conclusion. We we have no idea what happened. This is an area I've been going here since I was four years old. I mean, there were other people around. It wasn't like a dark and scary night. It was just really strange. So if you've heard anything about this, I would love to know more about, you know, the black dog. But not not a dog man in any way. It just looked like this giant bear Wolf, in a way. So, thank you again. I appreciate the show. Have a great day.
0: Thank you, Catherine. You know, something about this story reminds me of an obscure legend from the mountains of Connecticut the Black Dog of Meriden.
9: Local legend has it that death has coincided with the appearance of an enchanted animal, the legendary Black Dog of West Peak. The canine is described as a friendly, nondescript, spaniel-type dog with two supernatural qualities. He barks without making a sound and leaves no paw print, even in the snows of winter. And, according to the legend... If you see the dog once, it is for joy. The second time one sees the dog, it is for sorrow. If you see the dog the third time, you die.
0: Now that clip was courtesy of WTNH, Action 8 News. And from the sounds of things, Catherine, you'd better keep your eyes open. On second thought, maybe you should keep them closed. Either way, be careful out there. And thanks again for the entry. Oh, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night.